Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hi there, I'm Andy, one of the pastors here at Salt. And a big welcome to you, particularly if you're visiting here with us this morning. We love having people visit us at Salt. Um, We're starting this new series, Unexpected Truths, looking at four things that the Bible tells us, four surprising things. And our goal is that over the next four weeks uh, that we'd see some really helpful things, particularly for those of us here who are checking Jesus out, looking into Jesus. We pray that this would be really helpful for you as you explore who Jesus is. And for those of us already Christian, uh, our hope is that uh, this would be an encouragement to you and further convince you of the, the basics, the foundations of what we believe here at SALT. And the topic that we're looking at today is God is there and you can know him. So I pray and we'll jump into it and see what we have to see. Lord God, we thank you that you are there. We pray that you would uh, reveal yourself to us by your word and um, pray you'd be speaking through me now. Amen. Well, I was talking to someone uh, a while ago, let's call them, let's call them Jamie, and uh, we were chatting about spiritual things, and they professed to be agnostic. They didn't have any particular spiritual beliefs themselves, and as we talked, they shared that they didn't think there was enough spiritual evidence, or enough evidence to really have anything more than a vague idea of spiritual stuff. And so I shared some of the stuff that I believed, and I talked about Jesus and the claims of the Bible. And they were surprised to hear that there was evidence for what the Bible says. There was proof. And we talked a bit about that. It was more than just blind faith that Christians have. They were surprised to hear that God is there and that we can know him. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. But how can we know that? How can we know that God is there? There's so many different religions Uh, So many different religions that make different claims about God. I don't know if you've had this experience. You go to a restaurant and the menu is massive. It's just like, it's this big and then it folds out and out and out and out. And it's overwhelmed with choice. How am I, and they come and ask you what you you would you like? And I just, often I just panic and just choose something and someone else's meal looks so much better and I suddenly regret it and then wish I'd, sometimes it feels like that with a religion. There's so many religions out there. How do we know? How can we possibly know which one is, which, which one's, which one's real? Which ones are true? You know, so many people make different claims about God. How can we know which is real? Muslims claim one thing about God. Christians claim something else. Hindu, Hindus say there's three million gods and Buddhists say there isn't a God. Well, how do you, what do you do with that? Wouldn't it be easier if God just showed himself? or herself, or whoever, so that everyone could just see, and we could know with certainty what is true. wouldn't have to be confused. Well, what are some ways that God could show himself? I'm using the word, the pronoun himself, because I'm convinced from the Bible that's how God reveals himself. That's his preferred pronoun, so we're going to go with that. Um, But uh, what 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 do you think? If God was to show himself, how could he do it? What do you reckon? Call out. Riding in the sky. Riding in the sky, yeah. Just some, not an aeroplane, but just some big thing that I'm here. Lots of big miracles, public miracles, yep. Anything else? If God was, what are some ways God could show himself? Private. Private? 
Yes, you have a dream or appears to you and tells you exactly what your plan, his plan for your life is or that he's real and tells you. Yeah, that'd be good, wouldn't it? That'd be helpful. Yeah. There's lots of different ways. And, and if there is an all-powerful God who created all things, surely they could do any of those things, all, all of those things even. They could do the skywriting and just do a blitz, the skywriting and the vision appearing and all these kind of things all at once and everyone would be convinced that he's... Why doesn't that happen? You might be asking that question. It's a common question. Why doesn't God just show himself? And then that can kind of slide into the next question. If he ha- God hasn't done a very good job of showing themselves, how can we be held responsible if we don't follow God? It's not my fault. It's not my fault I, he hasn't shown himself. And the next step, well, if God is there, he'd understand why I didn't follow him because he didn't make it very clear in the first place. It's not my fault. I've done my bit. I've kept my eyes open. It just, nothing happened, so... You know, it's not my fault. But what if God has shown himself and you've missed it? Right? That's a scary thought. So there's a lot at stake with this question. And the answer has a lot of significance. So I think it's, that's why we're digging into it today. It's important to work out. Because we believe here at Soul that there is a God. God is there and that we can know him. We believe that he's knowable. And so the question is, what has God done to show himself? How can we know he's there? What has God done to show himself? Well, there are two things that he's done, two big things to make himself clear. The first one is that God shows himself through creation. We read that in Psalm 19. Uh, Amy read that earlier. It says, verses 1 and 2, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. So the skies, the stars reveal knowledge about God. Uh, on New Year's Eve, I was waiting for the fireworks with my kids, and uh, we were looking up at the stars, and as they kind of slowly appeared in the night sky, and um, we were trying to work out which star was which, and the, by the end of the night, oh, so many stars had come out, and it, it just blew us away, looking up in the stars. And the Bible here says there's something about creation, something about looking at the stars or looking at the world around us that speaks to us and reveals God on some level. It says that God is knowable through his creation. He's knowable. And particularly the heavens, the, the stars. And we now know what these stars are. They're massive balls of burning gas, millions of light years away, hundreds of kilometers. Um, but there's something about looking at these, these stars and looking at the world God's made and it makes you feel small, makes you think there's something more to life, hints of something else. It's a universal experience. As anthropologists, they haven't found a single civilization throughout history or a culture on earth that doesn't worship some sort of God or some sort of spiritual being or have sort of, some sort of religion, not, not one. Every person, every people group in the world, every culture throughout history had some sort of sense that there is a God or gods out there. It's because all cultures have this inbuilt knowledge that there's something greater. In the heart of us, we know. And many people you speak to believe in some sort of God. They might not exactly know what that is or be able to articulate it, but people often have a spiritual belief. They're going to have a different understanding of what that is. So it's not very conclusive. You can't just look at the stars and know everything there is about God, but there's something. We all come up with different, each culture comes up with a different version of what God is. And we have thousands, thousands of different religions 
interpreting creation differently. So while we may be able to look at our world and the stars and get a sense that there's more to life, it's pretty inspecific. But it's still there. God does reveal himself through creation. It's just a very general, broad revelation about himself. So we can't learn much from God just by looking at the world. It's certainly a start, and it's a helpful clue to understand what God has done to reveal himself. To know that God is there, it's more than just a starry night. We need God to show himself specifically. And that's the second way he shows himself. He shows himself specifically. And that's some of the ways you guys came up with. Uh, when if not just the not just the creation, but skywriting or dreams or whatever. Uh, God has done much more than just give a general message to people everywhere. He's shown himself specifically. He's done it according to the Bible in the most extraordinary way. If God were to reveal himself, there's two ways he could do it as well. Two ways he could reveal himself specifically. Two categories that a revelation from God could fit into. And we, our answers kind of picked up on this. A private or a public reveal from God. You can have the public or the private. God could reveal himself privately to each of us individually through a dream or a vision or a voice, a private revelation, or he can reveal himself publicly, not just to one person, but a large group of people. And these two ways, there's two different ways that God could show that he's there. And all the world's religions fit into one of these two categories, private or public. Uh, But here's the difference. The first category, private, can't be proven. Can't be proven true or false. If someone says they had a dream and God appeared to them, you can't prove whether that happened or not. Uh, I've got two letters here uh, from, from two different friends that just happened to illustrate my point exactly. Um, and um, one of them's from Dave, one's Samantha. And they both had different religious experiences uh, at similar times. Uh, coincidentally, one from each category of revelation. And uh, I'm gonna, I thought I'd re- do you want to, I'll read the first one. Do you want to hear it? Uh, Andy, dude, Uh, last night this crazy thing happened to me. I was in my bedroom and God appeared to me in the form of a talking wombat. This wombat told me all the secrets of life and described the afterlife. It was amazing. I wrote it all down. I've decided to start a new religion based on what this wombat has told me. And I'd like for you to be one of my first followers. Join me, Andy, from Dave, the founding prophet of Wombat Ministries. Um, that's, that's Dave he had a crazy vision and a wombat appeared to him in his bedroom and told him everything there is to know about life uh, second one is Samantha and she says uh, hey Andy you won't believe this I was at Wollongong Lighthouse yesterday afternoon and suddenly a giant panda appeared next to the lighthouse me and my friends freaked out and so did everyone else there there was about 80 of us But then this panda told us all the secrets to life and described the afterlife, all the bamboo you could ever want. It was amazing. They wrote it all, and I wrote it all down. I also spoke to a bunch of other people who were there. I got their side of the story. I wrote that down too. You probably won't believe me. Here are their phone numbers if you want to give them a call. I've decided to start a new religion based on what this panda has told me. I'd like for you to be one of my first followers. Kind regards, Samantha, the panda priestess. So, what do I do with that? (laughs) I got these two people, two friends that have had very different experiences of of God, what do you do? I feel like I need to look into this more before making a decision about religion. The problem is though, Dave and his wombat experience, I can't, how can I be sure that even happened? You know, how do I, can't, maybe he just had some bad leftovers and went to bed and had a weird dream. No one else was there. You can't verify it. 
And that's not to say it didn't happen. You just can't prove it either way. And that's the case for most religions. When you go through the different religions of the world, you can put them into two categories. And what you end up discovering is that 99% of all religions are unverifiable. They're based on private revelations from God. They're not based on testable events within history. They're based on private visions or dreams or particular insights into how the world works. That's 99% of the world's religions fit into that category. That doesn't make them untrue automatically. It just means you can't prove it either way. Um, but here, so here's two examples. Uh, Buddhism, for example. Buddhism is based on the teachings of Shakyamuni, uh, the Buddha, an Indian priest, about 500 BC, and he was looking for the answer to end suffering. And he's searching for many years, and he was sitting under a Bodhi tree, and he had insights into the cause of suffering and how to avoid suffering, as well as the nature of the afterlife and reincarnation, and all this kind of, this came upon him. And he had this enlightenment, uh, and he became the Buddha. And he began teaching his followers the way to enlightenment and what this looks like, the Buddhist life. And his followers, 400 years later, wrote his teaching down. And that's Buddhism. But the question is, is it true? Did that actually happen? Was he sitting under that tree when he had these revelations? Or we, we don't know. We can't know. We can't prove it. It's just based on his personal thought, his personal insight. And death will reveal it to us, but that's a little bit too late. So that Buddhism can't be verified either way. Again, it doesn't automatically make it wrong. But Islam similar. Islam is based on the private revelation which we can't analyze, we can't look at. In 610 AD, an Arabian nobleman called Muhammad was in his room alone when an angel appeared to him and announced, you are the messenger of God. And from then on, Muhammad claimed to have received frequent and very detailed revelations from God, special messages from God. And they ranged in content, but they all came through private visions that, that only he had. And then he proclaimed these to his followers who years later wrote them down into what we now know as the Quran. But again, you can't... Did that actually happen? We don't know. Can he verify it? We can't. Did he really have those revelations? Did an angel appear to him? Was it actually an angel that appeared to him? We don't know that either. Can't prove it either way. We can't know. And what was what he, his followers wrote down, actually what he said? All these things we can't test. That's Buddhism, that's Islam, and that's the world's religions, really, are all like that. Hinduism, Sikhism, Baha'i, Shintoism, uh, most share this kind of basic idea, basic premise based on a private revelation from God. It doesn't make them automatically untrue, it just means you can't test them. So that's kind of Dave's story, isn't it? But Samantha, her revelation is different. You could test that one out. You could look into it. Uh, this time I can find out what she said, if it's true or not. I can talk to some of the other people that were there and, and compare the story, see if it adds up. You could check the mercury. Surely it would document some of this if it's such a big event. You could verify the story. And if all the facts line up, then that's pretty convincing. So they're the two kinds of religions. 99% of them are unverifiable. There's only a few religions that occur in public and are verifiable. And you can prove whether they're true or false through external evidence. There's only three, in fact. Three religions that fall into this second category. The first one is Mormonism. Uh, the claims of Mormonism or the Church of Latter-day Saints from their founder, Joseph Smith, who claims that the Israelites emigrated from Palestine to North America 
centuries before Jesus. But the problem is, a lot of the stuff the Book of Mormon writes and talks about doesn't line up with the extensive archaeological evidence we now have about North America. It doesn't, doesn't add up. So while it is verifiable, Mormonism, it doesn't seem to check out. The facts don't line up. So that leaves us with two. Two religions that do stand up to scrutiny, and they're both in the Bible. They're both in the Bible. Judaism, Christianity, both verifiable, which is pretty incredible. Time and time again, we read in the Bible of public, verifiable ways that God reveals himself. The Bible's got lots of private revelations as well, visions and dreams, God speaking to people that way. But within Judaism, one of the central occurrences that's recorded in the Old Testament, the first section of the Bible, and that the writers continually point back to again and again, is Israel's exodus out of slavery in Egypt. That's a very public event. It's verifiable. The names and the places used in the Bible account correspond to what we know about Egyptian culture at that time which at least means that the Exodus story came out of an Egyptian context. It wasn't just written later, hundreds of years later, in a Jewish context. No, you place it into an Egyptian context. Uh, Also, all the Egyptian records place Jewish people, uh, a lot of the Egyptian records place Jewish people in Egyptian slavery at that time. And the buildings that the Bible says they were working on, we now know to have been built by Ramses II, the Egyptian king at the time. So all these little historical evidences line up with what the Bible says. That again doesn't make it automatically true, but it means you can look into it. You can work out if it's true. Judaism is based on verifiable verifiable claims. Unlike Mormonism, it does stand up under scrutiny. And much of the Old Testament looks forward to the arrival of God's King, his Messiah, who brings salvation to his people. The book of 2 Samuel says that he'd be a descendant of King David, Micah chapter 5 predicted he'd be born in Bethlehem in the south, and then Isaiah predicts he'd later emerge from Galilee in the north. It's no surprise who this is talking about. It's talking about Jesus. And you can read about Jesus in the New Testament. The arrival of God as a man, a physical, public, tangible appearance. It's verifiable, which again is risky. It's risky that Christianity is verifiable because it means you can look into it and prove it true or false. Because just like Mormonism, it's possible to disprove Christianity. If it's verifiable, you could look into it. If if the things don't add up, then it's not true. So it's pretty risky that we place everything that we believe in who Jesus is and what the Bible says about him, and that you can prove it either way. So how does, does the appearance of Jesus stack up? How does it verify? How do we know that Jesus existed, or that the things the Bible says about Jesus actually happened? Well, just like a giant panda appearing to a crowd of people at Wollongong, it's not just the Christians that wrote about Jesus. And we have historical evidence from books besides the Bible that talk about Jesus. Many non-Christian writers at the time mentioned Jesus in varying detail. Five other writers, in fact. Three Roman, two Jewish historians. And just from these accounts, we can learn quite a bit about Jesus without even having a Bible. We can read from these different accounts... Lots of different things. It's pretty small, but here are eight of them. Uh, we can find out when and where Jesus lived. We find out that his mother was named Mary, that he had an irregular conception, that he was a renowned teacher. We find out that Jesus did things that both friends and enemies thought to be supernatural. We find out that, Jesus, that the people called Jesus the Messiah, the King. We find out that he was executed. We find out how he was executed and by whom, the Romans. 
that people claimed that he was risen from the dead, that his followers continued to worship him and proclaim him after he was gone. So these are all the things we find out without even, not even from the Bible, from external historical sources about Jesus. People that weren't even Christian writing this stuff. People actually, some of them anti-Christian writing about Jesus. Jesus is real. He's verifiable. Uh, it's like, I don't know if you've had this experience. Keresh and I are going out for dinner somewhere and I tell her, before we go, you look really nice. And she, you know, kind of believes me. <laughs> Thanks. Um, then we go out for a restaurant or something and someone we don't know comments on how nice Keresh looks and suddenly, oh, you know, it means so much more coming from, well, come on, I, I just said that same thing an hour ago. But for some reason, someone we don't know comments and suddenly it means a whole lot more. It's because it's, it's an external source. They're unbiased in their opinion. And it seems to feel like it's, it has more weight to it. That's what's going on with Jesus. Uh, there's external sources that also prove, you know, show that he is a real person who did a bunch of stuff that the Bible says he did. And there's archaeological evidence that matches up with the New Testament. A bunch of stuff, we're not going to go into it now. People have written whole books on it. Um, worth looking into if you want. But I will say this. I saw someone on Twitter uh, say this, if you can't read it. Uh, in 2021, there is absolutely no reason to believe in a God except for emotional reasons. My, fr- my friend replied, the death, that the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are not emotional reasons to believe in God in 2021. They're historical. And then <laughs> this massive long discussion, which I got drawn into uh, about the historical evidence for Jesus and, and going back and forth, talking about that. It was, it's been good, still going on. Um, and then what, what, someone said something I hadn't heard before. They said that the Gospels were probably written hundreds of years after Jesus was even alive. And so they can't be trusted. You can't know that what we have in the Bible is actually what happened. It's like Chinese whispers and you can't verify, which is good. Like, it's good that this guy's, you know, trying to work it out, get to the truth of it. But here's something I found helpful. In the book of Acts, uh, Luke's account of, of the, the early church, there's 80 things, 80 that are mentioned in Acts that can be verified by historians and modern archaeology outside of the Bible, and throughout Luke's commentary, he drops in references to places and political rulers at the time. Many of those line up with the archaeological evidence that we've since discovered. Uh, a small thing, like in Acts 17, Luke uses the word politarchs, this, this Greek word here, Greek word here, to refer to the rulers of the city. But the word, this word, hasn't been found in any other document except Luke's uh, account in the Acts. So it's assumed that Luke has made it up or he's, he's used a word that doesn't make sense and it's not right and he's, it's, maybe this thing is written a hundred years later and he's tried to use words at the time and got it wrong. But since, archaeologists have found this unusual word inscribed in 19 other documents, 19 times in other documents. Uh, again, that doesn't make what Luke writes true but it means that Luke wrote it around the time of Jesus. He used a word that only people then used. It means that the New Testament wasn't written hundreds of years later by dodgy Christians who were trying to backdate their story. So the appearance of Jesus is physical, it's public, it's tangible, it's verifiable. And so through Jesus, what this means is we can know God. We can know God. A passage in the New Testament describes Jesus this way, Hebrews chapter 1. 
It says this, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, unverifiable revelation. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the universe. So God has spoken through his son, Jesus, a verifiable person in history. And Jesus talks, says this same thing about himself as well. Jesus tells us that he came so that we could know God. So that we'd no longer be in the dark, he came as a light. John chapter 12 says this, Jesus is speaking to a crowd and uh, he cries out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in the darkness. So Jesus is pretty clear here on why he's come. He's come to reveal God. He's come to reveal God to us, which is amazing, an amazing claim. Jesus claims to personally reveal God, not through a mystical dream or private vision, but through who he was and the things he said and what he did, which means that God is knowable because of Jesus. So if you want to know God, look at Jesus. What does that show us about God? Well, we see through Jesus that God is loving. Jesus spends time with outcasts, with the sick, with the poor. He does this because of his love for people. Matthew chapter 9 says it this way, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion on those who are lost, even those who are far away from him. And because he loves us, he provides a way for us to be saved. John chapter 3 describes this. Jesus, himself, Jesus is talking about himself here. He says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So God is there, and we've turned our backs on him. We need saving. But because of his great love for us, Jesus comes into our world to do that, to save us. And he saves us by dying, dying the death we deserve. Dying on a Roman cross, a public, verifiable execution. And he knew this would happen. He does it willingly. He predicted a few verses earlier. In John chapter 3, a bit early, he says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up on a cross that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So Jesus provides a way for us to be saved, to have eternal life with God if we believe in him. If we trust that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is sent by God and that through Jesus we can know God. That through his death and resurrection we can have a relationship with God. We can have life forever with him. And that's the last verifiable evidence, the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's central to what we believe. It's also central to the verifiable claims of the Bible. Paul says that this in his speech from Acts chapter 17. We read it a bit earlier. It says God has given proof of this to everyone by raising Jesus from the dead. 
There are a few key pieces of evidence that help verify the resurrection. Uh, Firstly, the empty tomb. Jesus was died, buried in a tomb, and then the tomb was empty three days later. And there seems to be no other explanation as to why, how the tomb could be empty. When Jesus' disciples proclaimed Jesus as being risen from the dead very publicly to thousands of people, the body of Jesus is never produced. That would be an easy way to shut the disciples up. Here's the body. The Jewish leaders even conceded that the tomb was empty, even though there was Roman guards guarding it the whole time. Secondly, the way that Jesus' followers were willing to die for things that they claimed about Jesus. Hundreds of Jewish nobodies, just normal people, came to believe that not only had Jesus risen from the dead, but they announced this fact so widely and so persistently, even in the face of jail and for many of them, death. And many people across history have died for what they believe in, but how many people do you know would die for something they know to be a lie? If the disciples got together and fabricated this idea that Jesus rose from the dead, why would they then be willing to die, willing to be crucified or willing to be boiled alive in oil or beheaded or all these horrific ways? Why would you do that if you knew it was a lie? I don't think you would. They thought it was true. Each of these little clues add up to some serious claims that need our investigation about Jesus and who who he is, what he did. And the Bible invites you to test it. Look into the credibility, the reliability of the Bible. Look into Jesus and who he is and what he reveals to us about God. All the claims that the Bible makes about Jesus, he's more than just a man who walked 2,000 years ago. Acts 17 says this, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent, to follow. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. We've got to repent, got to follow him. If he's true, look into it. As Paul finished his little speech in the Aragopagus, the, the responses in this passage are pretty varied. And you get that in the next bit. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, Amy struggled with that one too, a member of the Aragopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So some people sneered. (laughs) That might be you this morning. You kind of hear these things and you think, that doesn't make sense, that's stupid. And you might be right, but it's okay to have an opinion and decide, you know, but look into it. Make sure it's an informed decision. Look into the, check out the facts first. You don't want to have missed out on what God is showing himself that God is showing himself simply because he's done it in a way that he didn't expect. So look into the facts. Then there's a second group of people. They say, we want to hear you more on this subject. That might be you. You want to dig into this more, and that's great. Keep working this stuff out. Come back over the next few weeks as we look at some of the other, other unexpected truths from the Bible. Or read the Bible for yourself. Uh, start with Luke or Mark or one of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. If you don't have a Bible, grab one from the back. We'd love for you to take one home and, and to read, find out more about Jesus. Uh, look into the verifiable evidence. Uh, or on your form, we, um, the Connect form we did, you can tick, I want to find out more about Jesus. We'd love to help you. Get in touch, chat more about what that might look like for you. Because we're convinced that this is true and that Jesus is worth following. We, we're convinced that 
more than that. Uh, That God is there, that we can know him, and that he's worth knowing. Because we believe that God is a God who dearly loves you. A God who's shown himself most clearly in Jesus, who took the penalty we deserve on a cross so that you can have a relationship with, with him, a God that offers life and life to the full. So it's definitely worth looking into. Uh, the last group of responses is, is believing it to be true, like Dionysius and Damaris. Uh, it could be today you've realized for the first time that this stuff actually has some weight. It is true. And that's great. We'd love to help you with that. We'd love to help you follow Jesus. Have a chat with us at the end uh, or make a note on your connect form. We'd love to help you follow Jesus. That'd be great. But lastly, some of us here, we've already decided years ago to follow Jesus. That we've decided that this is true. And that's exciting too. But if you find that you're doubting or you aren't sure if it's true, remember. Remember the facts. Don't just rely on your feelings. But remember the facts, the things the Bible tells us. Trust the facts of the Bible. Go back to the things that can be verified. That while God has shown himself through creation, more than that, God has shown himself in the most amazing way through a man who stepped into history, Jesus Christ. So God is there, and you can know him, and he's worth knowing. God is kind, he is loving, he loves you, and he provides a way through Jesus for us to have life forever with him. Such good news, such good news. I'm going to pray and thank God for this good news. Let's pray. Our Lord God, thank you that you are not distant or silent. Thank you that we can know you. Thank you that we can know you through creation. Thank you we can know you through your word. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us by your son, Jesus. We thank you that the way that you love us and provide life and hope through Jesus, we pray for my friends here, people that are checking this out for the first time or looking into it, we pray that you would be making yourself clearer to them. Um, We pray that those of us who do love you and follow you would trust you more. And we pray that we as a church would keep pointing each other to you, helping uh, each other to live our lives for you more and more. Amen.